Good morning. You can go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. This morning we are going to be looking at the seventh and final day of the creation week as we look at Genesis chapter 2 and the first three verses. Well, let's begin our time together by reading our passage. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the words of the only true and living God. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word. You may be seated. This morning we're going to work our way through the seventh day of creation in two points. Our first point will be the seventh day where we're going to continue the pattern that we have had as we've gone through the days of creation and look at the details of this final day of the creation week. And our second point today will be the Sabbath, where we will look at God's blessing and his making the seventh day holy and explore why he did this and what this meant for Adam and Eve as well as what it means for us. And so before we seek to do this, let's go to the Lord in prayer together asking for his help. Let's pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, and not a heaven that is far off from us, but we know that you are near to us. Father, we have gathered together this morning as your people to rest in the work that your Son has accomplished for us to offer up the worship, the thanksgiving, and the praise that is due to Him and to you. And we trust that you have received these offerings, Father, because we have offered them up to you in His name. And you have instructed us and promised us that we have access to your throne of grace because of what He has done for us and that you have united us to him in faith. So, Father, we ask that this morning, during this time, when you minister to us by your word and spirit and your Son, our King, rules over us, we ask that you would bless this time, that you would cause this to be a time where we are conformed to the image of our King, that we are renewed in our zeal to not only worship Him, but to labor for Him in this world. Father, we ask these things not only for ourselves, but our sister churches. We ask for Grace Reformed Baptist Church in Pine Bush, New York, and Beaver Creek Baptist here in West Jefferson. Father, please be with our 
brothers and sisters there this morning. Use your word in their assemblies to sanctify them, to cause them to not just be hearers of your word, but to be doers of it. Father, we know that just as we plead for it here, that this is a work that must be accomplished by your spirit. No mere man can do this. And so we are completely dependent upon you to accomplish this work, not only here at the Gathering Church, but at our sister churches. Father, we also want to lift up to you our persecuted brethren throughout the world this morning, especially in Afghanistan. Father, we ask that you would continue to sustain them, that you would give them boldness to proclaim your gospel, that you would give them the grace that they need to count it a joy to be found worthy to suffer for the name of our great King. Father, please use our persecuted brethren to spread your gospel into the darkness of this fallen world and cause them to look beyond the horizons of the things they can see with their natural eyes to the place where they are laying their treasures up, to the hills where their help comes from, from to Mount Zion, where their king will return for them. Father, bless them in this hope this morning, we pray. Father, as we turn our attention now to this passage from your word, from this week of your creating, as in your providence you have brought us to it this morning, we ask that you would teach us, encourage us, Conform us to the image of your Son, cause us to walk the path that has been laid before us. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. In a story I recently read, there was a young man who challenged an old champion woodsman to an all-day woodchopping contest. Well, the young challenger worked very hard, chopping as hard and as fast as he possibly could while still being able to maintain his vigor throughout the entire day. And he was so vigorous in his chopping that he only stopped once during the day for a brief lunch. The old champion woodsman, on the other hand, had a leisurely lunch, took several breaks throughout the day, And at the end of the day, the challenger was shocked and more than a little annoyed to find that the old champion woodsman had chopped not just a little bit more wood than he had, but a whole bunch more. Exasperated, the young man walked over to the old champion woodsman and said, I don't get it. Every time I checked, every time I looked at you, you were taking another rest. And yet you chopped more wood than I did. The old woodsman responded to the young man and said, What you didn't notice was that when I sat down to rest, I was also sharpening my axe. Verse 
Well, this morning, as we look at this final day in the creation week, we're going to talk about many things concerning this seventh day. And one of the most important of those things is going to be the fact that although God has never needed rest from weary labor, although he has never needed it, he rested on the seventh day in order to give his image bearers an example to follow and a goal to look forward to, an example that instructed them in how they were to labor for their creator and then take a day to rest at his feet, a day for him to sharpen their axe for another week of labor until one day he would bring them to the goal of their faithful service, that day when they would enter into his eternal rest, the day when they would rest from their labors, as God does his here on the seventh day of creation. Let's begin looking at these things this morning by looking at the details of our passage here in the first point, the seventh day. Well, today we come to the end of the creation week. This creation week that began in chapter 1 with, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It ends here at the beginning of chapter 2 with thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. Creation began without form. It was void and all enveloping darkness and it ends with God having filled the heavens and earth with light and with life and upon God's completion of his creation work, today we see the creator having finished his cosmic temple, entering into his rest. And the emphasis that Moses puts on the seventh day rest can be best seen in the original Hebrew, where in verses 2 and 3 of our passage this morning, in the original Hebrew it contains four lines, and each of those four lines containing seven Hebrew words, with the focus in each line being on the phrase, the seventh day. Reading it with this emphasis would sound like this. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, the seventh day, God rested from all his work that he had done. So brothers and sisters, the picture we get from our passage today is God resting after he had finished his work. And one thing for us to notice in verses 2 and 3 before we dive into God's rest is that creation is referred to as his work. If you look in verses 2 and 3, you can see it's referred to as his work three times in these two verses. So get this picture. God has made his image bearers. He has breathed the breath of life into them, and he has given them work to do. And now think about the fact that after this, God calls his creation labors work. Beloved, the fact that God calls his labors work instructed Adam and Eve, and it instructs us that far from being some burdensome, far from being meaningless, work is held up 
to the highest possible degree because it is something that our Creator has done. Our God is not a do-as-I-say-but-not-as-I-do God. He is a follow-me God. Beloved, work is good. And though, yes, we should recognize the effects of the fall, that the fall of mankind and the sin and misery has had upon work, we should recognize that the fall has caused work to be frustrating and it can be toilsome. Though this is true, work itself is a wonderful gift from our Creator. And as with all of God's good gifts, it should be received with thanksgiving. Beloved, your Creator has ennobled work by the fact that He worked in creation, such that now when you think about your job and the effort and labor that your job requires, you need to realize that work and effort and labor are not part of the fall. However, the frustration, the fruitfulness that can come from our work, now that is a result of the fall, but brothers and sisters, we should not mistake those frustrations that come from our work or in our work, we should not mistake those things with the work itself. Work is good. Work is noble. And all of our work should be done as unto our king and not as unto man, as Paul instructs us in Ephesians 6. And so when you think about the work that he has given you in this life, ask yourselves the question, are you burdened by your work? Would you be rid of this burden? May I suggest to you that it would help that if you stopped thinking of it as a burden. Do you dread having to go to work each day and would you be rid of this burden? Then think of your work as that labor which your king has assigned to you during this season of your life. And as you think about whatever your current work is, whether it's a business owner or an employee or a homemaker, as you think about your current job, would you rather be doing something else? Would you rather serve your king in some other way than a work that you are than the one you are currently doing? If so, then ask your king who gives good gifts to his people. Ask your king to give you the good thing you desire, and then after asking, wait in faith for your king to act. But know that waiting in faith is key because waiting in faith means that if your king decides to keep you for the rest of your life in the current work that you do not enjoy, then by faith you must trust in the wisdom of your king to make such a decision. Not only must you trust him, but you should thank him. Thank Him for the opportunity to follow your Savior who before entering into His burden-bearing work uttered the words, Not my will, but yours be done, Father. And if you're one of those whose work is a joy to you, that you wake up excited to go labor, then do not presume upon your King's kindness to you, His grace in your life. Beloved, do not be presumptuous and proud, but rather the fact that He has 
brought to you and given to you, a work that brings you joy, this fact should be a source of thanksgiving and praise to your God. And we should likewise take from this picture here in our passage today that if this first Sabbath, that if work has been ennobled and should be held in honor, then likewise, so should rest. If the first six days were ennobled by God's working, then so too is resting because that is what we see Him doing here on the seventh day. And if work has been ennobled, then how much more this rest of the seventh day when we see in verse 3 of our passage today that God makes it holy. Brothers and sisters, we know that our God could have created all things instantaneously. We know that our God never tires, He never slumbers, He never needed rest. And so when we consider Genesis 1 and 2, we should consider that He who does all things well, and He who does not do anything without meaning, without purpose, when we consider Genesis 1 and 2, we should consider this creation week as a week of instruction for us. God created in six days of work, and then He rested on the seventh in order to instruct His image bearers that they should image Him in this pattern of ennobled work and ennobled rest. As we think about these things, as we consider the details of our passage today, we should not miss what we just mentioned. We should notice in verse 3 that because of this pattern of work and rest that God is establishing here in creation, it says in verse 3, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because God rested from His temple building activities, He blessed this first Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, what does it mean that God blessed it and made it holy? Well, most simply put, it means that our God has made this seventh day special. He has set it apart from the other six days of the creation week. He made it a different kind of day than the other six days. Not that the sun would rise and fall differently on this day, not that time would pass differently on this day, but rather God blessed the seventh day and made it holy that men and women would rise and fall differently on this day. That that instead of rising to work and falling to sleep at night from their labors, on the seventh day, they would rise to rest and they would rise to worship their Creator. Holy image bearers should spend their time on the seventh day differently than they would spend their time on the other six days. Now, to consider and emphasize the specialness and the separateness of this seventh day of creation, it may surprise you to know that here on the seventh day in our passage this morning, it may surprise you to know that this is going to be the only time in the entire book of Genesis that the word holy is used. For the remainder of our time in this book of Genesis, we will not see Moses use this word holy again. And we've seen amazing things in Genesis so far. We've seen the creation of light. 
We've seen the placing of stars and planets in their places. We've heard of the blessings that God gives to man and animals. And yet with all of these awe-inspiring things that we've heard so far in Genesis, only the Sabbath day is made holy by God. And so our thoughts obviously drift towards wondering what the explanation for this is. And so having looked at the details of the seventh day, this leads us into our second point today, the Sabbath. In the second point, I want to explain why the seventh day is made holy by God. Why is it that the only thing in this creation week declared to be holy is the seventh day? The most straightforward answer to this question is found in the second half of verse 3. Look at it with me again. It says, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So the seventh day is holy because God rested. Boom, done. Let's pray. I'm kidding. The truth of the matter is that we could be done right there, and that would be wonderful, and it would be a wonderful truth for us to meditate on and to think about and to consider and to find encouragement from and to have as a source of praise for our God. All of that is true, but there is more that we can explore. Because if we were to stop there and meditate on the seventh day being holy, we would be quickly drawn past the basics. We would be quickly pushed to dig deeper. We'd be quickly moved to put down the milk and start chewing on some meat. And we'd see how like light and darkness and the other themes we've explored as we've been going through Genesis so far, we can and we need to see how God uses this holy day of rest to instruct us throughout the rest of the Bible. Because as we can see plainly here, there is something peculiar about the Sabbath day. And not only is there something peculiar about the seventh day here in Genesis 2, but there's also the fact that the seventh day or the Sabbath day becomes so important for the people of God in the nation of Israel. And on top of that, we also need to explore what has historically been called the Christian Sabbath or the Lord's Day, which is part of the doctrine that we confess here at the Gathering Church. And so it has implications for how we follow Christ together as a church. It plays a part in the life of this church and how we live together, how we worship together, when we worship together, and how Pastor Scott and Pastor Quinn and myself are seeking to watch over your souls and so since all of that begins here on the seventh day of creation in our passage this morning, we are going to need to take the time to go through these things over the next couple of weeks. Now in order to do this, I want to recycle and use the stepping stone analogy that I used a few weeks ago. Stepping stones that will take us from this first week of creation and this first Sabbath rest here in Genesis 2 all the way to the new creation and the eternal Sabbath rest. And as we are spending time on each stepping stone, 
I hope to show us how each step of the way this Sabbath here in Genesis 2 has always pictured and has always called God's image bearers to remember what God has done in the past and to look forward to what is coming in the future. And we know that what is coming in the future is eternal rest. And so far from being some ivory tower theological discussion, the eternal rest is our hope, beloved. We who were dead in our sins, dead in Adam, have been united to the second Adam, to the last Adam, so that we, after our bodies return to the dust, we will be resurrected like Jesus. And at the resurrection, beloved, what do we who have been united to Christ by faith, what do we enter into? We enter into eternal Sabbath rest. That eternal Sabbath rest that God entered into here after his work of creation, that eternal Sabbath rest that Jesus entered into after his work of redemption. And brothers and sisters, you and I will enter into it one day when our Redeemer returns for us. And so to summarize here at the beginning, the way we are going to talk about the Sabbath is that for mankind, it has always been a day when we worship our Creator. And since the fall, we worship our Creator and Redeemer. And on the Sabbath day, as we rest from the labor that He has given us, we remember what He has accomplished for us in the past. And we look forward to the fact that there is a perfect and eternal rest coming in the future. And just like the fact that we know that Jesus Christ is our righteousness, we know that His righteousness has been imputed to us and received by faith alone, this fact does not mean that we do not need to obey Him, we do not need to grow in holiness, we not, do not need to grow in righteousness, we do not need to do these things as He is sanctifying us. Just like that, the fact that Jesus Christ has purchased our eternal Sabbath rest, the fact that He has accomplished it for us, the fact that, he, that our being united to Him by faith is what gives us that rest, this fact does not mean that we do not need to set aside the Lord's day to rest and to worship Him, to remember what He has done for us, and to look forward to that eternal rest that is coming. The Sabbath has always been, and until Jesus returns, it will continue to be a day of remembering what has been accomplished and, and anticipation that there is more rest to come for us His people. Now obviously this is going to take some time and even in taking some time to do this over the next couple of weeks, we are not going to be exhaustive on this topic. So you can think of these stepping stones kind of like icebergs. What we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is look at the iceberg that is above the surface of the water, but there's more below that could be done. But for the remainder of our time today, we're going to look at the, our, the first of our four stepping stones. And next week, we're going to pick up where we leave off here today and try to step on the other stepping stones as well. 
The stepping stones that we're going to look at will take us from creation all the way to new creation. These four stepping stones are number one, the Sabbath before the fall. The Sabbath before the fall, and that's the one we're going to look at today. The second stepping stone will be the Sabbath from Adam after the fall to Moses. The Sabbath from Adam to Moses. The third stepping stone will be the Sabbath from Moses to Christ. And our last stepping stone will be the Christian Sabbath, which takes us from Christ to new creation. So as I said, for the remainder of our time today, we're going to look at the first stepping stone, the Sabbath before the fall. The first thing I want to point out as we think about the Sabbath before the fall of Adam and Eve that we'll get to in Genesis 3, the first thing that I want to see, I want us to see from our passage is that there is something peculiar about this seventh day of the creation week besides the fact that God made it holy and rested on it. If you'll look at the end of verse 3 again, you'll notice that there's something missing. There's something that was present on every other day of the creation week that's missing here on the seventh day. If you'll look back and think to chapter 1, I hope you'll remember that each of the first six days of creation concluded with, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth day. Perhaps you've never noticed this before, but this seventh day, when God entered into it, the rest He entered into has never ended. If you'll look at verse 3, you'll notice that there is no conclusion to this day like the others. There's no tagline that says, and there was evening, and there was morning, the seventh day. It's not there. And so while there have been many evenings and many mornings since this seventh day of creation, there has never been an evening and morning that ended the rest that God entered into here on the seventh day. And this is why people have referred to this day as the eternal Sabbath rest. The eternal Sabbath rest that God entered into after He completed His temple-building work at creation. So as we consider this fact from our passage, we must ask the question, are there lessons that we can draw from this? Is God who has provided an example, a pattern for his image bearers to copy or image him in, the example of six days of labor and one day of rest, is he teaching us something here? In observing that once God completed his work and entered into his rest that did not end, is he putting forward a hope, an expectation for his image bearers? that just as they are to work as God worked, is there coming a day when, like God, their work will cease? Is there coming a day when they too will enter into a rest that never ends, an eternal day of rest? Well, the short answer is yes. The seventh day and the whole creation week here in Genesis set a pattern of work and rest for Adam, 
because God had given Adam the responsibility. Remember that we looked at it. God had given Adam the responsibility of being fruitful, of multiplying, filling the earth, and subduing it. This is what we've just finished looking at the last two weeks. And Adam was to do these things with the helper that God gives him on the sixth day. And so being fruitful, multiplying, filling the earth, exercising dominion, this is the six days of work that God has given Adam to do. Because Adam is not God and could not just speak things into existence, his labor is going to take more than six days. Just think. Just think about it for a second. How long was it going to take Adam and Eve to have a child? Much less enough children and grandchildren to fill the earth, to subdue the earth, to subdue everything that God had made, to exercise dominion over all that God had given to them. Now, I don't know how long that it would have taken, but it would have been a while. At least much longer than six days. And so Adam, as he was going about his labor with his helper, was to image God through the passage of this time by following this pattern of rest, working six and resting one, remembering what the Creator has done and looking forward to what is coming. Adam had to do this. Adam resting one day of the week was not only required because he was to image God, in the pattern he set in the creation week, but Adam had to rest one day because it is the law of nature that creatures must worship their creator. Now, when I say the law of nature, what I mean is the moral law that God imprints on his image bearers' consciences. This law that requires us to worship our maker And if man must worship his creator, then man must do this in the way approved by the creator and in the way appointed by the creator. As with everything else that we've talked about, as we've been going through the six days of creation, the creator decides. Worship is no different. The creator sets the terms and conditions. Mankind does not get to dictate to God how he wants to approach him. And so Adam was to set aside his work, and he was to image God in taking one day to rest. And on this day of rest that God made holy, he was to worship his maker. Now this whole period between Adam's creation on the sixth day And whenever he would eventually fulfill this dominion mandate that God had given him on the sixth day, this period of time between day six and he finishes this work is a time in which Adam is on probation. It's a period of time when there's a big question mark over Adam. The period of time between God creating Adam on the sixth day and Adam completing his work that God had given to him is a time of probation where God tests him to see if he is going to obey all that he has commanded of him. Will Adam and Eve multiply and fill the earth with holy image bearers who labor six and rest for one? Will they exercise dominion, a benevolent 
dominion and subdue and cultivate the earth and its creatures. And as we will see in a couple of weeks, will they obey God and not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as they perform this work? These are all questions that Adam had to answer, not by his words, but by his actions. Now, this idea of Adam being under probation may be a new thought for you, but as we will see when we get into farther into Genesis 2 and 3, it's indisputable. Whether you want to use that exact term or phrase, probation, the idea is indisputable. And I say that it's indisputable because of one simple fact that we all agree on, whether you like that phrase or not. We all agree on the fact that Adam fell from his original state of innocency. But this singular fact is what makes Adam's probation indisputable. The fact that Adam, who was made good and upright, who was created sinless, the fact that he actually fell from this state of innocency shows beyond dispute that his original condition was mutable. It was subject to change. God didn't create Adam good in such a way that he couldn't change. God didn't create Adam good in such a way that he couldn't fall from the good condition in which he was created. Adam's being good after being made on the sixth day wasn't a fixed condition. It wasn't an eternal condition. It was subject to change. And as we will see as we go through Genesis chapter 2, that Adam's original condition was put to the test by God's command to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When Satan tempts Eve at that tree. And so it is, the, it, are, it is these facts that lead us to call this period of time a time of probation for Adam. And so when Adam sinned, by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, as we will see when we get to Genesis 3, he failed his probation. He failed the test. And in failing the test, Adam fell short of attaining something that he did not have when he was originally created. We are all familiar with Romans 3.23, and many of you can probably say it by heart, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is exactly what happened to Adam when he sinned at the tree. He fell short of the glory of God that was before him. Now the question is, what was that glory that was before him to attain to? And the answer to that question is what brings us back to our passage today and the seventh day of creation. Adam fell short of the glory of the eternal Sabbath rest that God entered into on the seventh day. The glory that Adam fell short of was the eternal Sabbath rest. The eternal Sabbath rest that would have come if Adam had obeyed God. And if Adam would have obeyed God, he would have moved from probation to consummation. From 
testing to eternal resting. Adam would have moved from being mutable, changeable, from having a righteousness that he could lose, which he did at the tree. Adam would have moved from the changeable righteousness that he had when God made him of the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into him on the sixth day. He would have moved from that righteousness that he could lose and did lose to what we would call a confirmed righteousness a righteousness that had passed the test, a righteousness that had perfectly and perpetually obeyed its creator and fulfilled its duty to perform the work given to it by its creator, a righteousness that upon doing so would be confirmed and upon being confirmed by giving access to the tree of life that he might live forever, it would move from being changeable to unchangeable, from being mutable to being immutable, from work and testing to eternal rest. Now, obviously, as we are going to see in the coming weeks, all of these details that I just laid out before you are not in Genesis 2 and 3. So why do we believe this to be the case? Why is this the doctrine of this church? Why do we believe the scriptures teach this? We believe this be, to be the case because this is exactly what Jesus Christ, who the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 15 calls the second or last Adam, this work that that first Adam failed to do is exactly what the second Adam accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus Christ always did the Father's will. In seeking and saving the lost, He was during His life and has been since His death and resurrection doing what Adam failed to do. He has been and is filling the earth with holy image bearers. He is subduing all creation and exercising dominion as God is putting all things under His feet as the author to the, of the epistle to the Hebrews says. But we know that because Adam of Adam's failure, that Jesus, the second and last Adam, not only had to do what Adam did, but in order to achieve eternal rest for his people, he had to do more. He not only had to do what Adam failed to do, but he had to endure the punishment he had to pay the penalty his people owed, and this is exactly what he did in his life, death, and resurrection. Such that while Adam and all mankind with him fell short of the glory of God at the tree of temptation, our perfect Savior and all those united to him by faith attained to the glory of God at the tree of crucifixion. Well, beloved, as we close and prepare to enter into a time of reflection on our passage today in this first stepping stone of the Sabbath before the fall, I hope that you will not only consider the seventh day of creation and the eternal rest that God entered into on it, but I hope that your heart and your affections will be stirred to consider that eternal Sabbath rest that your Savior has purchased for you. 
that eternal hope that is laid up for you in heaven while you labor here on earth. I want you to consider this in your own life. In our passage today, we see that God enters into his rest after his work of creation. But we know that the fall is coming in chapter 3. And this is going to make a work of new creation necessary. And so when Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. Completing his work and entering into his rest. And I know we're skipping ahead a little bit here, but as we consider with Adam imaging his creator in work and rest, we must also ask ourselves the same question about Jesus's life. Has he given us an example? Has he set a pattern for us to follow, to take up our cross and follow him, to endure persecution and trial and hatred in this life, to enter into our rest by way of the cross? And so as you think about this, I want, to, I want you to ask yourself this morning as you reflect on your own life, how's it going? As you look at your life, are you entering into this labor? Are you striving for that eternal rest by way of the cross? Are you sowing to your flesh or to your spirit? Are you sowing to the first Adam or the second Adam? And since we are in Genesis, the book of Moses, think about your life and taking up your cross and following your king on the narrow way, the way of the cross that ends in eternal Sabbath rest, think about your life and how you are spending your days, your time, your energies. Think about the things that you enjoy. Think about the eternal value of them. Or are they distractions for you from laying up your treasures in heaven? Consider these things and think of Moses who the author of the epistle to the Hebrews says in chapter 11, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Oh, beloved, let us examine ourselves during this time of prayer and reflection and soberly, honestly, with ourselves, not only for our good, but for the eternal good of others, look at our lives and examine ourselves in light of what we are doing. Do we wish to be wise in the eyes of the world? Do we daily distract ourselves from the, with the things of the world such that Satan has lulled us to sleep and distracted us from doing the good work that our Savior has prepared for us that we should walk in it as Paul instructs us in Ephesians 2? Beloved, as you examine your life, if you see that you have been lulled to sleep in your work, 
that he put before you. I want to say, awake, arise, wake up, repent, and renew your zeal for your king and service to his kingdom. Cast off the distractions of this world that your heart and your mind may be set on eternity. Choose the mistreatment with the people of God rather than being comfortably numb to your own soul, starving for lack of communion with God in word and prayer. Consider the eternity of your neighbors who all around us are headed to destruction. Oh, beloved, if Satan has lulled you to sleep, I plead with you to wake up and heed the words of Hebrews, which follows what we just read about Moses, and beginning in chapter 12, says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Oh, beloved, that is where your help comes from. The right hand of the Father. And if you are distracted from the work He has put before you, if you are struggling to run with endurance the race that He has put before you, if you are struggling with the sin that so easily entangles you and clings so closely to you, then look to Christ. Look to your perfect Savior. Look to Him in faith and follow Him in His work who endured the cross, walked on the narrow way, not despising the shame that would come from it, but for the joy set before him, endured it. So, brothers and sisters, as you set your eyes above and beyond the horizon to Mount Zion, where your help comes from, where you are to be laying up your treasures, if you look and examine your life and you see yourself so distracted that you're stuck on the milk of the word, and aren't ready to move to the meat, I say again, wake up. Wake up and consider that your life, as we sang, is but a breath. It's just a vapor. And labor now, while it is day, so that when you enter into your eternal Sabbath rest that your Savior has purchased for you, that in 10,000 years from now, you will not look back and be ashamed of how you labored. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you have commanded us to examine ourselves and to think about our lives and our actions and to realize that we will reap what we sow. That a tree is known by the fruit that it bears. Father, we are so thankful 
that you do not require these things of us, that we must pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps to do it, but that you have written your law on our hearts, that we would love it, that we would obey and do it. And you have given us your spirit, that he not only works in us to desire to do those things you have set before us, but he is the very guarantee that we will receive that eternal Sabbath rest, that our King and Savior, our Redeemer, has purchased for us. Oh, Father, help us to consider this seventh-day rest that you entered into at creation. Help us to consider and to meditate upon the seventh day that you blessed and made holy. Help us to consider what it means, what it meant for Adam before the fall. And as we spoke of the second Adam and the work that he accomplished, help us to consider what looking back to what has been accomplished and looking forward to what is to come, what this means for us in our day as we seek to honor you on the Lord's day. Well, Father, help us to labor, to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have called us, to enter into gospel labors in this old creation always keeping our eyes on the horizon of that new creation rest. Father, thank you for sending your Son to purchase it for us. It's in his name we ask these things and pray. Amen.